0: You're listening to Wickham Sound online on Radio Player and on 106.6 FM. A very good evening to you. Welcome along to the Wickham Wanderer show here on Wickham Sound. I am Bob Johnson and I'm on my own this week. There is no Colin Besley here. Um, and then on next week's show, he, Colin will be back next week, but I actually won't be here. But don't worry, we we, we haven't split up or anything. Uh, you know, we are very much still the Anton deck of Wickham Sound. Uh, we will be back together for the first Wickham Wanderer show, the first Thursday uh, in 2022. Coming up on the programme tonight, obviously there's no game to reflect upon from Saturday and now there's no going to look forward to unboxing Day either which is a bit sad but we've still got lots of good stuff for you this evening uh, so we're going to hear from Wicked Wanderers commentator Phil Catchpole in the latest in our series uh, of interviews with people who cover Wicked Wanderers in uh, the media we will be hearing from Phil how he got behind the microphone at Adams Park to become the Wicked Wanderers commentator we will also be catching up in our former players section uh, with winger Danny Sender and we'll be hearing from gareth ainsworth as well uh, who will be looking forward to the game fingers crossed against ipswich town on the 29th of december that is all to come between now and eight o'clock of course we had the news then yesterday that we were all slightly dreading that the cambridge united game uh, is off because they've informed the efl uh Let's not. What the, I still don't know why the EFL changed to those silly initials. When you know the Football League, what could be a better name than the Football League? And so, so I'm going to call it that. Uh, in the same way that I still think of it as being the Milk Cup, uh, not whatever it is these days. Um, Yeah, Cambridge informed the Football League that they wouldn't be able to fulfil the fixture. And of course, we've been here before. That's what happened with regards to the Bolton Wanderers game. Uh, Really, really wonderful. I think great news coming out of the club today that actually they have donated all of the food uh, from the game against Cambridge United that would have been used on Boxing Day to the One Can Trust. Uh, Will the chef... uh, who, of course, has been on the Wickham Wonder show before, uh, going along to our local food bank to drop off the packaged and tinned food. And also the fresh food items as well that we're going to be used um, are going to be given to the local fire service, who, of course, will be on duty throughout the Christmas period. But really, really nice gesture, that of the club anyway without further ado let's get on to tonight's first item then um i caught up with wickham commentator phil catchpole earlier on this week to have a chat about how he got in to the media but first of all we reflected on the fact that it's been a very sad couple of days at adams park as we've lost a goalkeeping legend gary lester and trust member david Robertson. yeah
1: terrible terrible news um i, I knew david um um, but it still came as a shock because David was just so full of life and energy and, and positivity, and you know you'd see him buzzing around Adams Park on a match day, always uh, with a killer tan if he'd been cycling out in Spain or somewhere in the week and back for match day. But always just so excited for the game, um, always really happy to chat about you know today that that the opponents of that game or you know how Wickham were getting on. You know, a really, really good view of, of the club as well. He loved that club. He really loved Wickham Wanderers, and you know, I don't think people realise just how much work he did for the trust, um, especially when things were really, really hard. Um, and it's it's due to the people like David Robertson that Wickham Wanderers are in the position they are today. In fact, still, you know, in the football league even. And, and you know, it's 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 so really, really sad because, like I said, he was just so full of life and energy and. And yeah, when, when I found out the news, I, I was I was very, really, very sad about it. And, you know, best wishes to his, his family and friends as well. And, and everyone at the club, because, you know, he's going to be a massive
0: miss. And I think when we're talking about the, the trust as well, we need to remember that, as you rightly say, you know, really without those guys, there wouldn't be a club. They kept it going when actually no, nobody else was really interested in it.
1: Exactly. When things are really, really hard. You learn a lot about people, and and David, like I say, the positivity is people like that that you know when things are looking really really grim, you know, steer people through and keep things going, and you know, and him along with the other with the other trust directors at the time and all the people involved and all the other fans and volunteers, um, you know, really kept that club going, and I'm so glad that you know he saw Wickham Wanderers get to the championship a bit. I don't think he was at the playoff games, but he was around to see that season, the championship, um, because you know it was a milestone in the club's history and he, he would have seen it come right the way through from the non-league days, right the way through and, and played a huge part, You know, especially under trust ownership when getting players in. I know it was a big help to Gareth and, and bringing players to the club and it's been amazing to see the players um, on social media talking about David in, in, in such warm ways as well, because of the part that he played in bringing them to the club. And not only that, also after they left the club, always keeping in touch, always asking how they were, and, and that was the
2: mark of the man, really.
0: And I mean, that, that's really interesting, because I know we've spoken before about the remarkable number of players who then come back to Wickham Wanderers, so that just gives you an idea as to you know, what, what goes on actually when players leave, and why possibly they then think, right, actually, I'm going to come back.
1: Yeah, well, wickham Wanderers is, 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 you know, I still see it as a non-league club, and and I say that in the nicest way because it's got that family appeal to it. Mm. And it's got that spirit to it. Once you've pulled on the quarters, you know, you're one of us. Mm. You know, John D. Taylor and Hutch do an amazing job with the ex-players association as well um, to keep them all connected and, and keep people tied to wickham Wanderers and. You know, when when the players, you know, cross the white line for wickham Wanderers, there is that bond all of a sudden. And, you know, that's why so many of those players are still connected to the club to this day.
0: And then another sad piece of news, the Ex-Players Association also then reporting that the sudden and unexpected death of former goalkeeping legend Gary Lesto, who played 521 games for, for wickham Wanderers.
1: Yeah, this is a, you know, really sad couple of days for the club. You know, Gary was the second... Um, uh, goalkeeper in the club's history, the mo- I think just behind John Maskell I think he made the most appearances as a goalkeeper. And Wickham have had some some really good servants down the years in between the sticks. And you know, I remember Gary Lester really, really well. My first ever game was a fan back in 1987. Gary was in goal. Um, you know, and, and yeah, he was a fantastic keeper for the Blues. And, and during the 80s, um, it was a really good period for the club in their non-league heyday. As well, and I remember him playing for Marlowe for top, uh, against Tottenham at White Hart Lane in the FA Cup, and you know, and you know, a sudden passing, you know, and, and you know, and by today's standards, no age either. So again, you know, to echo the sentiments of earlier, you know, thoughts to his family and friends as well, because yeah, it's um, it's that's a tough one to take
0: yeah yeah really really sad uh and i'm sure that the club will be marking both um in the way that they do and that's one of, again one of the wonderful things about Wickham wonder is, is that actually they they are so so good uh at paying tribute and i'm sure they will be doing that
1: yeah yeah exactly that i think you know it's part of the you know the ex players association you know it's about keeping keeping that spirit together and you know and remembering the contribution that these people have made to the club because you know they may no longer be with us but you know their vibrations will continue now, when, whatever the club does in the future, because they're 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 part of the DNA. They're part of the blueprint of the whole thing
0: yeah yeah so yeah. so true um so the reason really for getting you on this week and i promise it's not because there wasn't a game on saturday or anything like that uh, we've, <laughs> we've already spoken a, to a couple of, of media people um on the Wicker wanderers show um and i thought i really wanted to get you on um because everybody now knows you as the Wicker wanderers commentator um but just really how, how you ended up in that position of behind the microphone on match day uh you do a fantastic job and you know i i i, I would say this to anyone i'm not just Saying it because you're there, but what what led you to actually be sitting there and commentating on football?
1: Um, it, it was a complete and utter accident. Um, it was something that um, I didn't see coming. It wasn't something I was looking to get into, um, which you know will sound really galling for people who are listening to this, thinking I really want to be a football commentator. How do I do it? Um, I was uh, I remember I was living in Wickham at the time. I've been a Wickham fan since um, since I was a young boy. And so, you know, I was a keen fan of the club. And um, I remember I'd, I'd broken up with, with my, my then partner, my girlfriend, and we'd been together for quite a long time. So I had a bit more time on my hands. And, you know, like I said earlier on about the family nature of Wicked Wonders, you go back to what you know. Um, and uh, so, yeah, I was, I was back around the club quite a lot. And um, just, you know, as a fan. And um, I had a bit of time on my hands as well with... Um, with work and I was working, I, I swapped, changing. I swapped the job. I was working in the music industry, and what with downloads and everything else, you know, it was it was a tough time. And so I lost my job as well. So it was a big moment of change in my life, and um, so I ended up getting a new job working for um, an organisation that was part of the Foreign Office, but in their arts department. And and I actually hated it because it was just for civil servants, and I found it really boring. And um, but I was working on a radio project, which was really exciting, but I didn't know anything about radio. So I persuaded them to let me have um, a day off a week to learn about radio. And I did that at Wickham Hospital Radio. I volunteered on a Monday. Uh, and in return, they would show me like, how to you know, to man a, a radio desk and get involved in some broadcasts and whatever. And uh, blow and behold, um, after about a month of doing um, some music shows, after passing my audition, which, which took quite some time, um, uh, I, you know, I went, we had to go to the monthly meeting of the hospital radio um, uh, station, which was uh, pretty interesting in itself. And this guy called Keith stood up and was, was all sort of doom and gloom because he'd lost a couple of uh, his university students who had been working over the summer and he didn't have enough people to, to man the, the studio for this weekend's commentary at Adams Park. And I was like, I had no idea that this was happening. And then I was like, well, I love football. you know, I'll, I'll happily help out. So I spent about a month or so in the studio, sort of, you know, putting the faders up for the guys down at Adams Park to do the commentary for the patients in the hospital. And after a couple of months, I got to go behind the microphone. And it was one of those moments, you know, people talk about light bulb moments or whatever. I remember getting behind the mic and just thinking, wow, this is great. I mean, I love talking and I love football and I love working wonders. So the three things came together all at one time and I was like, Wow, this is brilliant! And because we're you know, as I say, a small family club, you know, hospital radio got the same access as five live reporters and and all the other people there. And you know, it was a completely new world to me. I didn't have a clue what was going on, who anybody was, but it was just a lovely platform to learn. So I did all of that. I did hospital radio for the rest of that season, which was about three or four months, and we rotated a couple of games on at the game, one in the studio. So I ended up doing about ten or fifteen games, and then. Um somehow, I don't know what happened, but BBC Three Counties had stopped sending a reporter at that, the end of that season. And people on the gas room, the Wickham Wonders message board, were complaining about the lack of coverage. Um, so I emailed BBC Three Counties saying, look, I'm a volunteer on the community station. And by that point, i would made a little recording of myself. I sent them a clip and said, yeah, I'm at games anyway doing this for free. Um, you know, if you need some help. Um, I'll be happy to help out. And then um, they gave me a trial game on a Tuesday night against Rotherham. Um, Steve Evans was the manager. They drew 2-2. so It was a decent game to report on. And I passed that one. And there was I think there was about 10 games left at the end of the season. And they said, right, you know, you can do the rest of the season, but we ain't going to pay you. And then, um, so I did that. And then over the summer, they took me on as a freelancer. And then, and that was that. And, and so, yeah. Pretty got
0: into it by accident, if I'm honest. But yeah, I mean, and you say that, that possibly it's galling to listen to, but actually, I, I see you as being a bit of a Chris Farino that that you know that turns up for for a, just really to make up the numbers, not really expecting anything, and the next thing he's actually being given a contract. And uh, to me, it, it's really inspiring what you've said because actually, you know, even if you are listening to this and you this is what you want to do, you want to become a football commentator, you want to get into radio. The the roots in that the, there are so many. It's it's not that actually you necessarily say have to go to to university that you've got to have lots of experience. Some some of us and that uh, you know I'm I'm similar. J- just happen to actually fall into it.
1: Yeah, I mean that's the thing, Bob. There's there's countless courses out there. You know, you want to go and do broadcast journalism. You, you know, you can do all of that. you know, these things cost money and time, obviously. Um, I mean, I had none of that. You know, <laughs> it was just I was literally off the terrace and. So that was it, but you know, hospital radio is brilliant because you know I don't think that many people were listening to be honest, um, but there was one really important listener, which was me, because at the end of it, I'd get a mini disc at the end of the game. I'd pop back to the hospital and they'd give me a mini disc of me doing a commentary and I'd listen back to it on the way home and I'd listen back to it and it was really hard at the start and I was thinking, oh, I sound terrible or I say that word so many times and it gave me the platform to practice in a live situation and the discipline came from having to listen back to myself and, and improve improve what it sounded like, you know, week on. And, you know, there's no replication for that. There's no university that will teach you that. You've just got to go and do it. You've got to put the hours in. Um, so that was it. And But, yeah, I mean, if you go and do these courses and whatever, that's all great. But in this day and age, you know, someone came up to me in the bar the other day and said, how do I get into doing what you're doing? And I was like, watch games, watch them on TV, go live and whatever. And when the ball goes into the final third, just start commentating on your phone. Just start recording into the voice moment thing on your phone. And, you know, commentate on goals, you know, make a little show reel, get better at it, listen back to it. You know, it's all, it's all there, really. The tools are all out there now if you want to do it. And, um, and it's just practice and airtime, really.
0: Yeah I I think one of the things that's really important that you've said there is the listen back to it bit and that's the hardest bit actually is listening back to yourself because as you say you do cringe and you do think goodness me I say that word too much or I sound really silly but that's the way that you learn and if you can put yourself through that pain barrier then actually that's the way that you get better.
1: Yeah exactly that and you know it, it took a bit of discipline to do it but you know I realized as well, for years I've been listening to the radio. I remember you know when I was a kid but football commentaries on radio too yeah. And oh
0: yeah, yeah
1: five Live yeah. And, you know and I've been listening to all this stuff for so long, and it happened, and so I knew what a good commentary sounded like, but I did not really know because I've just been listening to it, and they make it sound so effortless. so I knew what it sounded like, um, so for years I've been sort of conditioning myself without realizing it. And then all of a sudden, I'm sat in a press box in Wickham and these people are dropping in and out. You know, like, you know, you've got like, I remember bumping into John Murray when they came, when Villa came down. He's like the chief football reporter at Five Live. And I remember speaking to him in the week. He rang me to do his research on Wickham Contras. And in turn, I was like able to pick his brains and say, you know, what do I need to do? Cause at that time, I was just a freelancer, worked with a normal job in a week and everything else. And um, so he was really key for me because he told me that, you know, it'd be great to get a journalism diploma or something like that just to kind of give me some grounding in media law and, and that would be a way of sort of progressing. And, 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 that's, and that's exactly what I did. And there's a guy called Dave King, who used to be the editor of the Buxbury Press, who left that position and moved into education in journalism. And he ended up being my, my tutor. And I did my journalism diploma at Wembley Stadium. Um, they used a the um, the corporate boxes during the week when they were empty as
0: classrooms. Uh, that so that did, must um, have been quite a cool place to you know to go and study. It was
1: brilliant because it was empty every day and you'd go and do this stuff. And, um, you know, I was in there every day of the week five, for five months doing all my, 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 my classes and my exams, all done at the stadium. And then, of course, you know, roll back the clock to 2020. I'll go and do a game there with my commanders and I'm probably the only commentator who went there who, who knew exactly what it was like when it was empty because I've been there so many days <laughs> when it was empty. So even that paid me a good stead as well. But yeah, so all these sort of life-changing moments I can think about, they all happened at Adams Park, you know. And, and, and I suppose once you get into that position, you've just got to make the most of it and, and make sure you say hello to everybody and help people out where you can and always be nice to everyone. It's a small world
0: yeah yeah very true i think the other important thing that that you've said and i've seen you in action at adams park as well is that actually these days you've got all the kit. i mean if we, if we go back to when you and i were kids if if you wanted to do anything about radio you know you had to have so much kit that you would be taking say to to a game these days you've got it all on your phone and i i see your interviews with gareth and you do that all just on a phone there's not even a microphone
1: yeah it's incredible really and you know i've got an app on my phone and you know, mean, even if you just use your voice memo app, you've got it. I've got an app on my phone that connects to the newsroom for BBC Three Counties and Five Live, and I can send on my interviews straight into the desk of whoever's presenting on whatever show, which is phenomenal. But yeah, everything is there, and it means that you know I can be somewhere and something happens, and I can just whip my phone out and, and start talking to people, um, which is brilliant. And you know, so you know, pre-pandemic, Gareth used to come up to the to the radio point, and we'd, we'd stick him on the headphones of the, of the sunrise, and we'd do it live that way. But now it's you know pitch side and following the COVID protocols and everything else. But but yeah, you know, even if you just want to do your own pre match interviews with people after games, you know, don't interview your best mate in a bar and say, What you make of the game today? All about the subs, all this stuff. You know, ask the questions and and get better at it because interviewing is the same. You know, the more you do it, the better you get at it.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so true. So, when you look back at the games that you've commented <coughs> on, which, which ones really stick out for you?
1: Oh, um, Torquay away um, when Wickham, you know, was yeah. Of course, uh, we all know. We all know the. Yeah, exactly. I, I think right?
0: all you have to say is Torquay, and we all know what you're talking <laughs> about.
1: Yeah, that was. I think that was a game that sort of um, made me sort of better known amongst the wiccan fan base because um there was about there was over a thousand wiccan fans there that day that made the long journey and i've always said it was like going to a funeral you know it was like going to see um the end of wiccan wanders football league era or certainly up to that point and um because no one really gave us a chance and so it did feel like we were going to cover quite a sad event and then as history has told us, it was one of the best days in the club's history. Um, but Wickham were were winning. It was like a procession. They were stringing up in the second half, and um, three counties said, "Look, we're going to stop commentating on this game because no one, this result is done. We're all worried about what's going on at the Memorial Stadium up in Bristol." So they stuck me in a set of headphones, and I had the commentary of BBC Bristol in my ears. And they sent me out into the into the terrace to feed back into, into our live programme, saying, you know, what, what's it like on the terrace? And of course, you know, the atmosphere was absolutely incredible. You know, you could cut the air with a knife in there. And um, and then I soon realised, I was like, hold on a minute, if Bristol overscore, we can go down, you know, regardless of what's going on here. And I'm going to have to tell everybody, because, you know, I've got this going on live in my headset. Everyone else was looking at their phones or whatever, but I was like, well, I'm going to be the first to know about this. So I'm in there, and I remember it's about 20 minutes of that game to go, which felt like about 15 hours. And then I always remember the commentator saying, right, the, the, the fourth official was called us five minutes." And um, Anita who used to be the photographer for the Berkshire Crest, a wonderful lady, took um, a great photograph of me and the front of a the, the stand in the paddock, and I'm holding my hand up with my you know with five fingers, my, my four fingers and my thumb up, and I'm saying there's five minutes to go. And it really captured the moment perfectly. There's a fan in the background, he's got his head in his hands, you can see the pensive nature of everybody's face. And that five minutes, I was just absolutely terrified that Bristol Rovers were going to score, because I'm going to like, how the hell am I going to tell everybody? <laughs> what am I going to say? Um, fortunately, they didn't, but I mean, they hit the bar I think twice in that five minutes. Um, but then, I'll never ever forget the roar when the whistle went at the Memorial Stadium and I was just like, uh, just put my arm up and and it's done. And People were then getting the stuff on their phones as well and all the other stuff. And that roar was just guttural. It was just unbelievable. And I can hear it now, talking about it. And, yeah, phenomenal. I mean, that game was right up there. Um, Tottenham away at what, the old White Hart Lane. Yeah, of was, course. Yeah. the most magical day for me. Um, all my family originally from, from Tottenham were all Tottenham fans. Um, and never in my wildest dreams did I ever think that Wickham would play Tottenham in a competitive game. <clears throat> especially when I was a young boy when I was going to Lokes Park and if someone had told me, oh yeah, you'll be going to so-and-so with Sonny, I'd have laughed at them even even though I was really young. Um, So to go there and to commentate at the old White Hart Lane before they knocked it down um, was just amazing. And it was the perfect day bar Sonny's late goal because had it been a 3-3 draw, they would have got the the replay they deserved. But I remember being interviewed before the game and they were saying well you can't lose today and I was like well I can if we can get embarrassed like 8-0 then that's not good I just want them to to really give a good account of themselves and boy did they what a game that was and to commentate on that was just unreal absolutely unreal and you know my dad and my brother were there as well which was great for them and you know my dad had been at White Hart Lane with Tottenham on the double in the 60s um, so yeah it was just brilliant you know it was just almost the perfect day and then Wembley, I've done two Wembleys, the South End game oh, yeah. and then the Oxford game. Um, I mean, the Oxford game was just surreal on every level because, you know, we could go into the championship, which in itself, um, in normal circumstances, was surreal. But to do it in an empty stadium, I think there were 90 people there that night and absolutely overjoyed to be able to get in and, and privileged to do it. And, and to, to be alongside Beanie for that game was just great. And, um, yeah, yeah. Um, unbelievable so yeah I've been very I mean I've always said the word privileged really because to do any game really is just a privilege um but those games especially were just phenomenal
0: yeah and again this is why you're such a good commentator because you've said all of those things and you know and the hairs on the back of my neck are pretty much standing up about all of them because you can you know you can picture it you can you're there as you're saying those words you're there at Torquay you're there at White Hart Lane and you're there again at Wembley
1: yeah that's just you know and um I mean, I, I, someone—I can't remember who it was—someone um, sent me some uh, an email um, with my commentary, like they typed out the words to certain moments that were really special to them in in Wanderers history that I'd commentated on, and they sent me an email with what I'd said at the time, and I mean, I was I was I was couldn't believe it. I was like, wow, and um, and they were just saying, well, yeah, this was great. You know, you summed up these moments perfectly, and I was like, well. You never think about stuff like this. It's lies. You can't prepare I mean, I don't prepare anything. And you just say it as it is, and you, you just do it. And I don't know where the words come from. But, um, yeah, and I, I was completely blown away by that. And then I was just thinking, well, yeah, these are moments of history, I guess. And I don't know. I'll just make sure I try not to muck it up, I guess. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, the only thing that I ever worry about, it, it, it's exactly the same with, with Gareth, is that actually one day somebody might come along and poach you and you, you might go somewhere else.
1: <laughs> I don't know about that, but um, I think yeah, I got into this game pretty late on in my life. I was well, late thirties, and you know, there's some great young commentators out there doing brilliant things. And you know, and you know, I, I look back, and I'm very lucky that we, you know, H- hospital radio was brilliant when I was there because we had Joe Shannon, who is um, a fantastic commentator yeah, yeah. for TalkSport and freelancer. He, he pops up all over the place, the Sky Red Button, and and does all sorts. Yeah, he's a phenomenal commentator. And, uh, Aaron Paul, um, who is now doing the Football League podcast for Five Live and a fantastic Five Live reporter. And, um, you know, and I remember like being in a hospital radio with those guys thinking, wow, you know, this is great and thinking all hospital radios were like that. Um, but they weren't, were they? But
0: no, <laughs> um, no, that's very true.
1: Um, but yeah, I can't see myself going anywhere really. Um, you know, but uh, like I say, every, every match day is a privilege, you know, you think. You know, I've got to go to some amazing games, amazing stadiums and, and commentate on a team that I love. So, you know, what, what's better than
0: that? Wick and Wanderers commentator Phil Catchpole and remember that you can get Phil's Ringing the Blues podcast on all good podcast providers just as you can get the Wick and Wanderers show as well. Still to come on this week's show, we will be hearing next from former winger Danny Sender and we'll also be catching up at the end of the show with Wickham boss Gareth Ainsworth.
2: Online, on Radio Player, and on 106.6 FM. This is Wickham Sound. It's
0: the Wickham Wanderer show on Wickham Sound. Bob Johnson with you. No Colin this week, but he will be back next week. Time now for our ex-players interview this week, where I caught up with former winger Danny Sender. Although I did say to Danny that whilst I think we all think of him as a winger, he did play in quite a lot of different positions during his time at Adams Park.
2: When I first joined a club from Southampton, I joined as a a, a right winger. Um, But then... Uh, for whatever reason, the, the club decided to put me up front, and um, that's where I made my debut under on the, on the lorry. up front, and I enjoyed it up there. But I mean, back then, if you remember, the, the centre half and most of the teams that we played against, it, every team was just so physical. Um, it was so difficult for me up there. And then by circumstance, I found myself going to to right back, and, and really, yeah, really enjoyed it. When I took to the role um, defensively. Probably wasn't the best defender. Um, Maybe a little bit before my time in terms of how fullbacks attacked, um, but yeah, I think probably out of all the positions that I got put in, right back was probably my my most favourite position.
0: Yeah, and I think again that that's definitely that that's where I can see you in the in the Wickham team um, down there. But and you know you you say that you weren't a great defender, but you more than made up for that then going forward because you gave us you know a, another option with regards to to then crossing the ball in.
2: Yeah, and I think that's probably why I, I was put to various different positions. I mean, Tony Adams came in and somehow found myself in central midfield, and I don't know that whether that was um, just again because of my output that uh, I was able to run um, that he wanted me to go in there. Um, and then John Gorman came back in and decided he wanted to put me um, back to right back. And we had, I had a, ended up having a really good relationship with Kevin Betsy. I think we complemented each other really well. And I mean, as you say, it was almost like having playing two two wingers at times um with the way that we played. We had we had some, some great times under John.
0: And it was such exciting football to watch as well. And I think, you know, I, I think any fan probably wants their team to to be all attacking. And particularly as you say, it was like having two wingers on the you know on the, on the same side. And that's why it was so good to
2: watch. Yeah, it was so good to play in as well. I mean, particularly under under John Gorman who you know I refer to as the gaffers just he used to say to me, you know, if you're not going to get forward and you're not going to attack, then I might as well play somebody else because you're not in the team to defend, you're in the team to attack. And that team was, yeah, I mean, I, I know Wickham have, have gone on to do some wonderful things under under Gaz, um, but I'm not sure there's been a team since that team that has entertained as much. Um, you know, we, we played in some games, I, I think there was a game against Macclesfield that ended 5-4. Um, and that was that was typical of John's teams, that it was, it was all out entertainment, it was all out excitement, really, really good teams to play. And we have some wonderful players in that group as well.
0: It's really interesting as well, as a fan, to hear a player then saying that actually that that you know that, that's what they enjoy as well, that that you enjoy, what we enjoy as fans, is that actually the, the more entertaining the side, the better. Whereas presumably if you're in a side where you are just passing it around the back and you're playing five in defence, it's not quite as much fun.
2: No, it was, a, it was a balance really because it's really strange. So obviously starting with um, Laurie Sanchez and Laurie... Laurie was probably uh, you know, part of his era in, in the crazy gang. It was it was we were physical at the front end of the pitch with Andy Rammel, Sean Devine, and these types of players. We had we had physical players in the back line with Jamie Bates, Paul McCarthy. Um and he was more um about playing in the final third, um about imposing our physicality in the final third. So um maybe for someone of, of how I played, it wasn't overly exciting um, to be involved in. Um I think at times it maybe it wasn't overexciting for the fans, but there's an argument there, of course, and it only took us to the FA Cup semi-finals, so um, you know there was there was something in that. But yeah, to to you know the, see the fans enjoying how we played, and you know every single game you, you were looking forward to it because you you just never knew what you were going to get other than goals um, and to be entertained. So it was yeah, as I said, it was a lo- lovely team to be a part of.
0: You mentioned the FA Cup semi-final run for you. That must have been a very double-edged thing because you you played in a couple of games uh, against Millwall before you were then injured. What was it like then to see the the team get all the way to to Villa Park and take on Liverpool?
2: It's incredible, really. I know you know injury unfortunately hampered my campaign in the FA Cup, but um, you know, it was unbelievable how, how we just kept winning. Um, you know, we, we we got Wimbledon. We thought, okay, this is going to be. A difficult time and managed to get the draw and taken back there and, and eventually beat them on penalties. Then, then you get to Leicester and you think, okay, is this it? Because Leicester were flying at the time in the Premier League and you think, okay, is this is this our you know one last shot or one our one big day in the FA Cup? And then you know Essendon pops up with a with a wonderful header that he did, um, and then all of a sudden, you know, you find yourself in an FA Cup semi final against one of the biggest clubs in the world at Villa Park. You know, um, we we really we really couldn't believe it. But, you know, we just, every single time we went into these cup games, we, we, there was a real belief about the group, a um, real belief that we could progress. Um, so to get to, to the semi-final, and not only get to the semi-final, I think when the, when the draw was made, we all thought, oh goodness, this, this could be a, a long afternoon for us. But actually, we were more than a match for Liverpool. Um, you know, and to, to only have Liverpool edges uh, 2-1, I, I think was credit to everyone involved and credit to the football club. It was a, it was a wonderful, wonderful day out um, for everyone involved, and I'm so pleased that everyone looks back at it it's so fondly.
0: And I think the fact again that we 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 were able to score a goal against them, and as you say, and and competed in the in the whole game.
2: Yeah, throughout we did. I mean, that was. I mean, you remember back to to the whole end being, you know, in in the light and blue quarters, light and dark blue quarters, in, in the whole end, it was an incredible spectacle, and to uh, have so many fans travel up there and support us, and are not even. Like even just on the, on the game day, the build-up to it was just, you know, you, you'd walk through the, the, the town centre and you'd be getting stopped. I remember I went, I went into the town one day just to do a bit of shopping um, and I got mobbed. I, I had to have someone to, to, you know, guide me out. And back then it was, you know, no, no one really knew who you were unless you were a Wickham fan. But, you know, and the build-up to that, to that FA Cup run, it, it yeah, it just it was massive. Um, and so, so good for the town, really. I, I think it really put us on the map.
0: Yeah, and, I mean, it's so heartwarming to hear you talk about that time as well, and it just makes you realise as well what a fantastic competition the FA Cup is, that actually a little team like and Wanderers, and goodness me, you know, we were a small team back then, um, you know, I know that we, we've we gone on to great things with regards to the championship and whatever, but then the, the thought of us playing in an FA Cup semi-final was, you know, was, was just seemed ridiculous, and the fact that actually that you guys did it, and as you say, you know, you beat Wolves, you beat Wimbledon, you beat Leicester, and went on and almost, you know, almost got a draw against Liverpool, which then would have gone to penalties. Was It's just, you know, you look back at it now, it's just amazing.
2: Yeah, it's, it's truly unbelievable what we've done. But then I, I look at, you know, as you say, what, what the guys are doing now and are pushing again to get into the Championship. Um, you know, I, I like to think that we were just one brick uh, towards helping the club be where it is today. You know, the, the guys that played under Martin O'Neill as well gave us the opportunity to to, you know, perform in the Football League um, and I and I, you know, a bit of me believes that we were a small part of of getting the club to where it is today. I know there was a few lean years before the new ownership came in and has done a wonderful job of of pushing the football club forward. Um, but yeah, I think it's all building towards where the club is now. It finds itself in a really strong position in League One, and I, I have to be careful with McChelton now. But um, I do hope that the club has the opportunity to go back to the Championship and you know and really compete and, and maybe spend another season in it.
0: We mentioned about the the number of managers um, that that you played under or certainly were in the squad under Sir John Gregory Neil Smiley, Laurie Sanchez, Tony Adams, and john Gorman which just when you when you say those names, such a different mix what what was it like playing under each of them and and did they very much bring their own personalities into the dressing room
2: They did, and it was. You know, at the time when you look back on it and you see you see clubs now with certain identities and they, they identify coaches, managers for that club identity. And I think at the time where Wickham were in a bit of a transitional period, coming up on the Martin and establishing themselves as a football league club. Um, and in that period, lots of, you know, look at Laurie was a, you know, a Premier League player, a name, got his own FA Cup history as well. And Smiley, again, another one, had a wonderful, wonderful playing career and they all, were given the opportunity, um, you know, to, to to dip their toe in his manager, similar to Martin. And as you say, they, they were all different styles. Um, Neil, was, Neil wanted to play a little bit more um, than Laurie. Um, still very physical, still wanted the physical element of the game to be a part of it. Um, he was really good for me because he was at the club when I first arrived from Southampton, um, you know, and he, and he talked to me a lot about being patient and, and waiting my time and, you know, that my chance would come. Um, and then eventually my chance did come under, under Laurie um, when I was 17. And again, uh, very physical, very direct team, um, as I said before. Um, then looked closely followed by Tony Adams. And Tony Tony went in a slightly different direction. Um, he first came in and I think originally wanted to play but was a little bit shocked at the level, having spent you know majority of his career, career at the top flight. So he came in and he... He, unfortunately, in my view, set about dismantling a team which I felt had some very, very good individuals like of Darren Curry, Jermaine Sporan, Danny Ballman, Michael Simpson, Sean Devine. You know, the list was endless, I felt, of really good players, but Tony saw it a different way. I think he wanted to go a little bit younger and play, play a little bit more football. And so he went down the lone route and, and, listen, he went and got some wonderful players and Luke Moore and, and Taylor and Williamson and Tyson. You know, they were all very good, good young players, but it was a different style, and I think Tony quickly worked out that he would have to become adaptable. Um, you know, managing at League One and League Two, and then John came back, and John, John was, you know, John was the polar opposite to all of them. Really, John was total football. Um, he absolutely loved it. He, you know, he loved working with all types of players, young, old. And he managed to get a real balance in that squad of a, of a mixture of experience, then the middle group with myself, Roger Johnson, and then the younger ones, in like a, a young Russell Martin. Um, and we had we had a real good balance. One, you know, obviously that season, you know, um, didn't didn't turn out as much as happy as we would have liked it before for certain reasons that went on in that season. Um, so yeah, it's a real eclectic, eclectic different sorts of managers that I've played under. All I've taken. Uh, parts of with me into my my coaching career now um, and I'm really grateful to have played for all of them If I'm being honest because I as I say I had eight wonderful wonderful years at Wickham.
0: I think as well particularly with John Gorman you know it, 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 we all look back on that time with with a little bit of regret because you think that actually he could have been one of the the real classic Wigan Wanderers managers along with Martin um, along with Gareth Ainsworth um, but you know but, but for circumstances and for certain tragic events.
2: Yeah, exactly. And, you know, probably a little biased from me, but, you know, Gareth and and Martin have obviously had huge successes with promotions and cut runs. But I do put John in that bracket because, you know, most people that I speak to when I talk about the Wiccan days, John's name comes up. Um, He had a real affinity with the club. Um, As I say, his team was, okay. we didn't go on and get the success that we would have, that group perhaps should have and could have got. Um, but I do think it had its own uniqueness about it, um, which everyone, you know, looks back with fond memories on. And there's been managers, you know, that have gone past in, in the years that maybe we haven't spoken about as much. But John, John for me, does sh- and should be, be held in, in high regard as, as much as the other ones that, that have got successful for the football club. Um, as I say, I just can't speak highly enough of the good times. He's such, he's such a good man, John. Um, and he really had Wickham at his heart. I know he's been back in, in recent weeks to the club. Um, but for me, he is. He's one of the, one of the Wickham great managers.
0: Yeah, indeed. And it was lovely to see him when he came back to Adams Park as well. It was, you know, really, really heartwarming moment. Um, so after Wickham then, you, you went to to Millwall where you became a very, very a big fan favourite. Um, what what was the difference between, between, say, playing for Wickham and then going somewhere, you know, and I know it's it's got a reputation and it's probably not like that the whole time, but, you know, but a hard club like Millwall.
2: Very different. Um, a big eye-opener. Uh, very, very early on to plan at the Den and plan at Adams Park or two very different places. Wickham is a, is a lovely family club um, and you have to do a lot wrong for the fans uh, to not be pleased with you. Um, at Millwall, there is a very, very high expectation for minimum uh, of work rate, of effort, and maybe perhaps that's why Things worked out for me so well at that football club because if if you if you give them that as a bare minimum, um, they will love you. But on the other side of it, it is a as you say, it's a very hard and unforgiving place at times. Um, but I absolutely I absolutely loved it. I instantly clicked with the fan base. Um, I completely clicked with the DNA of the football club, um, and it was it was a wonderful time there for me. Other than obviously the injuries that that ended up winding my career up. But some really good memories. Kenny Jackett came in. I, again, played under a number of managers, but Kenny came in and turned things around, and we had um, two player finals with Kenny, eventually getting back to the championship. Um, and so, yeah, a, re- a really good time for me there. But two very different football clubs in, in their approach and their expectations, but two clubs that I hold really dearly to my heart, if I'm being honest.
0: So you're at Charlton now. What is the um, attitude, I suppose, of, of those um, who who are not who don't know very much about Wickham? What what do they see at, at Wickham, and what do they think particularly about our manager?
2: I think, yeah, at the minute, throughout football, there, there is a lot of admiration for what what uh, Gaz and Dobbo are doing at at, at Wickham. Um, you know, when Gaz first took over, I mean, was it ten years back now? Um, he had very little to work with. Um, you know, but they, they seem to have found a way. And if I talk about an identity, we can not really have in one. Uh, when I first joined joined the football club uh, after Martin, Gaz is 100% created that. You know, I, I went into the training ground a few years back and the togetherness in that training ground is like no other. It is incredible. And it may sound a little bit cliche and a little bit corny, but they are almost a band of brothers. It is so tight. Um, and that, for me, is, is Wickham's identity now, the togetherness that, that Gareth has brought, not just with the team, but, you know, you, you go back. I've still got family that live in the area and you go back and, you know, it, he seems to have knitted the whole town together and everyone seems to be behind the football club. And that's, you know, that's hugely down to him and, and, and what Dubois have, have done for the club. So, yeah, there's a lot of admiration from from other clubs, as included. You know, we're all trying to create that identity, that longevity that Gaz has got. Um, but, yeah, you, you look at Wickham now and they are, you know, they're a real force in League One now. For me, they're one of the best teams that, that I've certainly seen um, in the division. And, and, yeah, I'd be surprised if they if they don't go up.
0: It's really interesting to hear you say as well, just say, about the, the band of brothers and whatever, because I think... Because Gaz has been with us for, for such a long time, actually there's some Wickham fans now who don't, don't necessarily appreciate that and don't know any difference. So it's really interesting to hear you say that actually, yeah, it is pretty unique in football, what we've got here in Wickham.
2: It's incredibly unique. Um, and listen, Gaz has had a hard time, maybe for the way that uh, his teams have played. I know they're playing slightly different now, but I think the argument for that is, again, he's had to find a way with, as I said before, the new ownership came in of of making a team compete um, you know it wasn 't that far off of going out of the division, um, so he had to find a way and he had to get a group of individuals together that would would help him achieve success, stabilize the football club first and foremost and, and he 's more than done that um, and then push push the club forward and you know, I say, you go back to John Gorman, I think sometimes you can get a little bit spoiled and you want everything. You want the wins and you want the exciting round of football, but that always is not. that's not always the case. Um, and in, in, in Gaz's case, he's created a really tight-knit group who you know, if you're going to play against a Wiccan team, it is going to be an incredibly difficult game, home and away. Um, and they have found a real formula of winning football matches. So, you know I I think what he has done, I can't, you know, I can't stress it enough. And what he is currently doing with that team is nothing short of incredible.
0: Well, it's been absolutely brilliant catching up with you, Danny. Thank you so much. When you look back um, on your time at Adams Park, just just give us a couple of the, the highlights, a couple of the memories that come back to you.
2: Well, I think firstly, how, you know, the fans have always been warm with me. They've always, you know, I'll go back Go back to the area, and everyone is so welcome. When I go back to the to the stadium, I just instantly, I instantly feel at home because that's what it is. Wicken, it's my home. Um, all the other clubs that I've played for, you know, I've had some really, really good times, uh, create some really good memories. But you know, when I go back to watch a Wiccan game, it, it is for me going home. Um, I've got lifelong friends, you know, in the likes of Steve Brown. Darren Curry, Roger Johnson, Keith Ryan, you know, I I go back and there's familiar faces. Um, Yeah, so for me, the best way I can describe Wickham is home, you know, and it'll always be that way for me. It's a special, special place, which, you know, I grew up um, not just as a footballer, uh, 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 as a young man Um, and the club has got, you know, a lot of, lot to do with all, all the happy memories that I, that I had as a young man growing up. So, yeah, a very special place for me.
0: Thanks, as always, to JDT and the X-Players Association for helping us out with the X-Players interviews here on the Wick and Wonder show. And many thanks to Danny Sender as well for taking time to speak to us. Still to come on tonight's Wick and Wonder show, we will be catching up with Gareth Ainsworth. He was, of course, going to be looking forward to the game against Cambridge United, but as that's not happening, he's now turning his attention to the clash on the 29th of December against Ipswich Town
2: online on radio player and on 106.6 FM this is Wickham Sound It's the
0: Wickham Wanderer show on our Wickham Sound. Just Bob with you this week. Colin will be back next week. And so, this morning I spoke to Gareth Ainsworth. Obviously, we couldn't then be discussing the Boxing Day clash against Cambridge United, but I asked him whether or not his squad had been similarly affected by COVID. I don't
3: know if it's medical information, but we we were ready to play the game. Um, So, obviously, we we gutted the games off. You know, I think every club's, going to have one or two uh but uh i'll have to say that either we've been very fortunate or uh kitten and his medical team have done a fantastic job because we uh we seem to be keeping a, a lid on things really well here and uh and uh, very minimal on uh on cases so yeah we uh without giving absolute detail which is obviously a, a medical confidentiality thing we uh we're 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 ready we're ready to play the game and i'm uh I'm a little bit gutted it is off because because uh, we um, you know we we don't want to fix the backlog, but also I totally respect um, the pandemic and the uh, and the cases that are flying around the country, and just wish everyone a you know a, a quick recovery from uh, from every you know everyone, not just football, but everyone. And um, hopefully this uh, this variant isn't as as severe as first thought, and uh, and we can get normal pretty soon.
0: Do you think the game should be going ahead at the moment when it's such a, a a strange situation?
3: No, you know, my opinion on that is I'll keep to myself, but um I I totally respect you know, if people are ill and people can't feel teams and the whole the whole idea of of uh isolation and keeping apart and not spreading this uh is is really important, you know. If uh, if people have got vulnerable, if they live with vulnerable people or you know, I'm very fortunate. I, my family's quite young, quite healthy. But people will have conditions in their families. People will live with grandparents, or or have young, young children. And and you've got to you've got to respect that. You know, we're still in uh in COVID territory, and COVID has killed so many people. Um, so I think if there's a uh, if, if if definitely legitimate reasons to call the games off, then they need to be called off. Uh, I just I just hope that we can get back to some normality because I'd hate to go through what we went through two years ago with the season um, being cut short or no fans last season. That, that wasn't football for me, so um, hopefully all these measures are in place so we can keep going and we can keep fans coming into the stadiums. Cause that's uh, that's really important for me and um, and I'm I'm sure everyone else in football. It's uh, you know it's the one positive is for 32 years I've I've never had a Boxing Day off so. Um, i'll uh I'll make the most of this one believe me <laughs> yeah
0: you know, what's christmas like in the ainsworth house
3: uh yeah christmas is great you know i'm i'm very family orientated um as people know um i i put football unbelievably high on my priority list, but nothing gets above family uh and uh and that's that's always important to me uh we've only been in on Christmas Day a couple of times in my my tenure and that's because we were on a way trip, so we had to travel. I remember one one night we are in a hotel in Plymouth on Christmas Day night, and nobody wanted to be there, not even the staff at Plymouth wanted to be there, so that was horrible um so I try and give Christmas Day off when I can. I believe that what I'll get in return on boxing day um or the months cup after that, you know because the boys know i've I've, I've given them that day with their families they have given them that moment, and uh, and so Christmas is in- incredibly important to me as well. You know, it's uh, it's um, it's a special time. It's a family time. It's a it's a giving time. And uh, and you know, we, we try and do that year year round at Wickham, especially myself. I love I love giving and giving. And uh, and Christmas is that that, that moment when um, you just have that that one day where everyone can be together and uh, and you realise really what's important in life and uh, some things aren't aren't everything <laughs> but family family definitely is and health definitely is as well. So uh, we've got a we've got to have a real real careful Christmas but again we're gonna be celebrating together. Um the kids love it. Um my oldest Scarlett, she's coming over which is brilliant. Um and even mum and dad, hopefully we we can spend some time with. But um again, uh, everyone will be tested. We're lucky that we test every day at the club and uh, and the kids test with their schools. You know, we've got some tests from school so we can keep testing and uh fingers crossed and touch wood everyone's uh everyone's staying covid free and uh and hopefully that'll go right through to christmas day
0: fantastic and is there a point in christmas day where you start singing where you, where you start start um, um performing a little bit
3: <laughs> of course there is yeah i have a daughter who's who's uh she's i think she's grade She's just done a grade seven piano and she's she's learning all these christmas songs and she's a singer so i think the genes are running strong through the family there from my mum to me to my daughter and uh, and if we don't get up and do a duet at some stage then something's going wrong on christmas day so ever the performer <laughs> but um definitely it's uh, it's about everyone enjoying themselves uh, the only thing i don't do is indulge too much on on the drink on the alcohol because it's always been the boxing day um you know get your head right get your head in the game and believe me i'm um, a Christmas Day night, you start thinking about the uh, the next games. You know, I'm sure every family goes through this. Where you get to about seven or eight o'clock, and Christmas Day's almost done, and you're thinking, right, what's next? Some people go online for the sales. Some people, uh, I think, I think one of the biggest um, internet uh, surges is, is late on Christmas Day, isn't it? So um, it's probably a lot of football managers on Scout looking at the opposition for the next day. You know, <laughs> so it's uh, it's uh, yeah, it's it's a great. Great day, but um, yeah, performing will be on the cards without a doubt. Games, family games, we're no different to any other family in and, uh, and I think indulging in that sort of stuff keeps you healthy and keeps everything right. But um, now, really, really important time, Christmas. I want everyone to have a great Christmas, all the fans, all the football people, and and everyone you know, and who's been affected by this this crazy, crazy couple of years, have a have a fantastic Christmas. Uh, and uh, we uh, we will be having Boxing Day off. I'm sure I'll be watching football, but. Uh, there definitely won't be uh, the brain ticking over as it usually does. That'll be all focusing on uh, Monday, Tuesday, and then Ipswich on Wednesday.
0: Yeah, I mean, that, that'll come round quite quickly. Um, and yeah. you wouldn't have thought it, um, d- given given what happened at Adams Park back in November, but Ipswich now, quite a different proposition to the team that we we faced that
2: night.
3: Yeah, uh, they've been real up and down, you know, a real, real roller coaster of a team this season. You know, they've really started sluggishly, they made some... Some huge signings in the summer and, and really didn't gel. Paul Cook's a good manager, but he couldn't get him to gel. And uh, I think the expectation and the money that was spent there, there's pressure on them. And then out the blue, um, you know, Kieran McKenna gets appointed. You know, and people are probably wondering who who is this guy? You know, and uh, you know, once you're in football, you do know who these people are. But again, it was it was a bit of a left field one as as, uh, as well. But he's highly rated by some some top managers in the game. So you know, you, you much like um, you know. Um, uh, MK Dons and, uh, and and Swindon now Ben been gone and and Manning. You know that they've they've appointed from a youth setup or a, a development sort of uh, setup and and I think that's something now in football we're looking at that these coaches and these managers don't necessarily have to have played at the top level or played at any, any level really. I know some have, some have and some have played at at some level, but it's it's all about the knowledge now and the and the way that they coach players. I think that head coach is becoming a big name now. You know, some clubs have CEOs and directors of football who take on all the scouting and the contracts and the recruitment and, and a coach is just coming to purely coach the team. You know, I'm glad to say here I'm a manager and and I'll manage everything, you know, all the things I aforementioned there, but the modern game now, there's so many positions at clubs that um, I think they, uh, they're looking down the coach route now of, of, get these boys gelled, get them coached. Um, And as you say, they're they're a different proposition, but we don't know what proposition they are because I was going to Gillingham on Boxing Day, believe me, but that's been called off. Uh, So, it's which are unknown to us. We've got to prepare uh, for a dangerous proposition, really, because we don't know what's coming. It's uh, it's tough. You know, uh, Kieran's never managed in the Football League, so what what does he do? Um, And we've got to be on our, you know, on our best, Sort of adaptability, really, to uh, to see what comes, but also work on what we're good we at, and uh, and I'll be doing that over the uh, over the days after Christmas.
0: Obviously, it's been quite a sad couple of days at the club. Um, we lost goalkeeping legend Gary Lester and also David Robertson as well.
3: Do you know what? Um, it's been a real tough year uh, again, uh, losing people. Um, Gary, obviously, um, fantastic keeper. Um, and, and sorely missed, and some of the ex-players I'm sure were very close to him. And, and again, hopefully, his, his family and, and, and friends will be uh, will be at peace with him, uh, with him resting. Um, but the big one for me is, is David Robertson. Uh, that was the one message I got which stopped me in my tracks. Um, I'm not saying nobody else stops me in my tracks, but David was a real, a real close friend. Um, he was director of football. Appointed by uh, Don Woodward when uh, when the trust came in and and uh, really when I got the job, uh, David played a huge part in uh, in supporting. Um, the, the The club was in chaos, really was, but not once did David Robertson ever lose his cool or lose his positivity. You know, he was new to the job just as I was, and it was it was a uh, it was a fantastic time. You know, we really. We had some laughs. We had some serious moments, uh, but he played a huge part in in the start of this uh, of this managerial tenor of mine. And uh, I I am absolutely devastated. Honestly, I really am. I think David was a was a top fella. and there's not one bone in his body that would would want harm or hurt or, or badness on anybody. He was such a great guy, and such a great person that. Um, he, uh, he will be remembered by me for all those positive things and all that that positivity and and, and togetherness he brought to Rick and Wanderers you know was some real tough times like I say um, but we got through it and uh, and I'll never forget David Robertson he was a he was a top top guy um, he'll be sorely missed uh, my thoughts go out to his family obviously Phil his son um, and, and all his friends and all members of the Trust because I'm sure he'll be sorely missed but um just from me a personal message thank you david for all what you did for me and uh and rest in peace because um you you were a great guy and uh and always will be remembered like that
0: and i think all chair boys fans would echo that as well uh Gareth, this is probably the last time that we will be speaking in in 2021 when you you look back across the year what what are the, the the things that stand out what are the highlights for you
3: yeah um some fantastic moments you know the the run in the championship that we almost pulled it off um You know, just uh, in a crazy way. uh, In a crazy way, the relegation and the enthusiasm to get back in amongst it and start the season the way we did. The signings of, you know, your Sam Vokes and your Brandon Hanlon and your and and, and my dialogue with the Kuechs about I want these players. Yes, we'll go and get these players for you. I mean, just the turning round of this club to what we've been through. This is the year now where I'm thinking finally we have the club that I I dreamed one day that I could be a part of and, and the training ground, the pitches, the fans, the, the the setup of the club. Um it it's it's a really momentous year on that side of things. Um but you know, just proud again to have been another year at Wickham Wonders. I really love this place, you know. Um I, ju- I just I just am I'm blown away sometimes with the support I get because year after year I get letters, I get I get support, I get people stopping me in the street and saying, thanks what you've done for Wickham. And it's not just me. Um, I take it and I love it, but um, every person has played their part. And uh, and I wake up seriously thinking, how lucky are you, Gareth? You get to manage a football club, people come up to you and thank you for what you've done. And, and I, I love my job. I really do love inspiring these boys good times bad times um, we know what we are and we love we love what we are and we love what we're becoming um, and hopefully hopefully one day we can be at that next level and, and be that established club which at the second tier in English football would be an absolute momentous achievement for this football club but um, you know what we've been pretty successful already thanks for everyone for your support in 2021 and hopefully 2022 can be another great year for us um, Merry Christmas and Merry uh, And if I don't speak to you, I'm happy New Year. Cheers.
0: And I can only echo Gareth's sentiments. Many, many thanks to him and to Matt Cecil for organising all of the interviews on Wickham Sound throughout this year. Many thanks to Phil Couchpole and also to Danny Sender as well for taking part in the programme this week. We will be back next week, or I say we, actually it'll just be Colin next week, but we will be back together for the first Wickham Wonder show of 2021. Enjoy the game against Ipswich Town. Fingers crossed that it goes ahead. Ipswich are meant to have 26,000 people there apparently so if you are planning on going make sure you go along uh, and be in good voice as well have a super christmas and many thanks for listening